0: laid on a criminal's cross, and darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus The song of all the redeemed. Yes, we're free, free forever, amen. When death was arrested, in my life began. That's when death was arrested, and my life began. When death was arrested, and my life began.
1: This next song talks about how the word of God is just this fire that we can't control. As the prophet Jeremiah said, that even when he didn't want to be the mouthpiece of God, that his word was in his heart like a burning fire, and he couldn't hold it back. So as we prepare for this message about God's word, I invite you guys to sing the song as a prayer. That God's word would burn in our
0: hearts. Set a fire down in my soul that it can't contain, that it can't control. I want more of You, God. I want more of You, God. Set a fire down in my soul that it can't contain, it can't control. I want more of You, God. I want more of You, God. There's no place outer rather be There's no place outer rather be There's no place outer rather be here in your love here in your love There's no place outer rather be There's no place outer rather be There's no place outer rather be she' here... sing it again one more time There's no place no place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be. here in your love. Here, here in your love. no place I'd rather be. no place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be. It's no here <politicians> <exempted> in your love. Here inside a fire For it.
1: Father, we ask that nothing else would replace our desire for you, that the desires of our heart would be your name and your renown, that you would be magnified in our lives through our words and through our actions. May you reign on the throne of our hearts. May you be all that we fix our eyes upon. Speak through Adam and give him the words that you have for us today. Thank you. We worship you. We glorify you, King of Heaven. We come before you now and ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. You guys can have a seat. We're going to welcome to Chris for some announcements.
2: Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Church in the Valley. Uh, we're really glad that you could join us today. Whether you're watching online or joining us here in the courtyard, it's always great to come together to worship and get a chance to get into god's word i've uh, got a few announcements for you today my name is chris hines i am one of the community group leaders here at church in the valley uh, we got more about that coming up so stay tuned for a few things on that um, i want to make today's inter- announcement just a little bit more interactive so if you have your cell phones go ahead and pull them out and if you haven't already done so go to cibalhambra.com sunday And there's a few things there that are going to be helpful to you. The song lyrics are there. The message notes are there. Uh, There's also a connection card. So go ahead and fill out your connection card to let us know that you're here. Uh, And there's a new thing there that I'm going to get to in just a minute. Uh, If you are a guest this morning, our first-time guest, we have a free gift for you. It's a book that's called How Good is Good Enough. Uh, That's just something that we'd like to give you to thank you for joining us today. Uh, So take advantage of that. Um, I'm really excited today because I get to announce for the first time what our plan is for groups in the fall, uh, which is why I've got you with your phones out today. Uh, one of the tabs, the new tabs on the app today or on the website, uh, is a groups info tab. And if you click on that, you're going to find a lot of information about what our plan is for groups. A uh, couple things that we need to know about groups, there's going to be a couple different options for groups. If you've been in groups in the past, we used to meet in person. Uh, COVID has changed that a little bit. So in the spring, we were doing online groups. Uh, As we launch groups in the fall, we're going to have three formats. We're going to have an online format, just as we did in the spring. Uh, We're also going to have an in-person option, which we'll be doing with some social distancing, uh, meeting in some backyards, wearing some masks, those sorts of things. Uh, And then there's going to be a hybrid option, which is going to kind of be a combination of those two, where some people may be meeting in person, some people may be meeting online, uh, but that way the groups can kind of come together. And obviously, as the COVID restrictions and the issue changes, uh, some of those groups may um, update based upon the group needs. The website, the, the groups info tab has a lot more information about that. There's an FAQ, some details there. You could sign up today for groups right there from the app, so there's an option. If you are here in person, we also have the handout that's available over there that has each of the groups described in terms of what type of format they're going to be, what days of the week they're going to meet, what times they're going to meet, so there's a ton of information there that's available to you. The other thing I want to note about groups, uh, some of you have children and may be wondering, what are we going to be doing about childcare for groups this year? Uh, right now, because of the COVID restrictions, we aren't going to be able to offer childcare uh, as a church. Uh, so be thinking about that as you're making decisions about what format makes the most sense for your family this fall. Okay? And if you have any other questions about that, you can talk to one of the staff members. Again, check out the FAQ. Uh, but I hope you guys sign up today to join one of the groups this fall. Uh, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll welcome Mbop Adam for his message. So, Father God, we want to thank you again for this wonderful day, this opportunity to meet outside in some cooler weather, uh, to come together and worship you, and just reflect on your word and who you are. Father God, we pray uh, that you would open up our hearts uh, to listen to the message today, to hear how it would apply to our lives, and that we can just hear everything that you have to speak to us today. We pray all
3: this in Jesus' name. Adam? Surprise! (laughs) Surprise! Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks, Chris, for the announcements, and thanks, Victor, and the team for leading us in worship. And uh, the song we just sung about setting a fire—Kate, will you come up here and grab Daddy's sunglasses? I forgot to take them off. Uh, The song that we sang reminds me of a story uh, I'm—I was—I'm reading through a biography of 17th century mathematician and Christian philosopher Blaise Pascal— And uh, he's kind of an interesting guy. You might have read about him if you took geometry and studied conic surfaces or um, engineering uh, or or he actually made the first sort of calculating machine called the Pascaline. Blaise Pascal is this brilliant uh, philosopher, mathematician, and he was not a believer. And then when he was about 31 years old, he had a radical conversion experience and he wrote it down in his journal. He woke up, And he wrote down in his journal, we have it, we have the words. um, He wrote down, night of fire. And what he wrote was, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not the God of the philosophers. Certitude, certitude, joy, and peace. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And he wrote down his immediate thoughts after this conversion experience and it's referred to by biographers and scholars as his night of fire. And he took his testimony and he wrote it on a piece of paper and he sewed it into the coat of his pocket so that he would never forget. So as we were singing, set a fire down in my heart, it made me think of Blaise Pascal and his conversion experience. That's what God's word does. It, it, it really lights us on fire. It, it changes us. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Perfect song. To sing, I want to invite you to open up in your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, and we are continuing summer in the Psalms with Psalm 119. And Psalm 119 is quite long. I don't know if you had a chance to read it. It is 176 verses. It is the longest Psalm, and we will not be uh, reading it in its entirety this morning, but we are going to look into it. And the title of the sermon is God's Word Brings Life. God's Word Brings Life. So if you're taking notes, uh, I hope that that's how you start off your notes. Because everything I say falls under that category. So let me, uh, let me pray for us. I trust you have your Bible open or turned on or have your access in God's Word. And uh, we will get going. Let me pray for us and then we'll get into God's Word. Father, I do pray that you would set a fire down in our heart, the same way that you got a hold of Blaise Pascal's life one night in January so many years ago. I pray that you would get a hold of our lives, each one of us individually, whether we are close to you or far from you, maybe we don't even have a relationship with you, that you would give us faith, you would open our eyes to behold wonderful truths in your word, that you would open our eyes to behold by faith our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Help me to preach what is true. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is the longest psalm in the psalms. We don't know who the author is. And it's an acrostic. Some interesting facts about this psalm. And what that means is that every one of these stanzas, if you just look at your Bible, you'll notice that verses 1 through 8 have the title Aleph. And that is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so every one of the stanzas corresponds to a letter in the Hebrew alphabet there are, there's one stanza for every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And every one of the lines within those stanzas, if you were looking at this in Hebrew, starts with that letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So if you're interested in that, you can go home. You can Google Psalm 119 in Hebrew, and you can see it right there with your own eyes. Even if you don't read or speak Hebrew, you can just look right there. The whole thing, as diverse as it is in all these different ways, has one subject, and that subject is the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. And this psalm of all the psalms stands out like Mount Everest to an, a mountaineer. A person who loves the psalms is sort of drawn to Psalm 119. And this psalm teaches us about God's word. And before we get into it, I want us to understand the backdrop of this psalm and, and, how, and how it really gets us to love God's word. And here's the backdrop. God cares about you. He cares about your inner spiritual life. God cares about you. He cares about your soul. He cares about where you're at. He cares about your joy. He cares about your heart. He cares about you. And he cares about how you feel deep down. When your soul is down, God cares about that. And I don't have any access to where everybody's at this morning, but in any group— There's people that are down, spiritually down, have been down. Maybe tomorrow you'll wake up feeling down. And if you study this psalm, you see this this sort of backdrop of spiritual discouragement and spiritual depression. Look in verse 20. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. There's this longing in the psalmist, verse 27. Make me understand the ways of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous rules works. Verse 28, my soul melts away from sorrow. The psalmist says, my soul melts away from sorrow. Elsewhere the, elsewhere, the psalmist says, my soul clings to the dust. And so listen, when your soul is down, when you're described as going through a period of longing, of desperation, when you would describe yourself as melting, as discouraged, as distraught, you need to remember that God cares for you. He cares about you. And this psalm beautifully expresses God's love and concern for us through his word. That is something we need to grasp. God's love and care for us is expressed through his word. And in response, our love for God is expressed in our love and appreciation for his word. So if I had to summarize this psalm all 176 verses, I would say this. God's word is meant to be loved and obeyed. And when it is loved and obeyed, it brings life and joy and light. God's word is meant to be an expression of his concern for you. And when it is is believed and when it is loved and when it is obeyed, it brings joy and light and life to you. This is what Psalm 119 verse 4 says. Look at verse 4 together with me. It says, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. The psalmist says, God's word is, is, is there. It's not just there to be intellectually understood. It's not just there to be interesting. It's not just there to be wall art in your kitchen. It's there to be kept diligently James 1:22 picks up on this theme when James the brother of Jesus encourages us to be not only hearers but doers you know that verse God's word is meant to be loved it's meant to be obeyed and this is what we have to grasp where God's word is loved and obeyed there is life it brings life and this is my hope for you this morning that you would be encouraged that if if God's word will find its way into your mind and into your heart and into your marriage and into your relationships and into your job and into your finances and into your creation and your dreaming and your learning, wherever God's word finds its way in faith and love and obedience, there is life. Sin brings death and God's word brings life. And that is so hopeful, that is so encouraging. Now look, let me be clear, these are not, God's word is not like magic beans. You know, I, I mentioned getting God's word off the wall and into our lives. Listen, this doesn't mean if you just go home and put God's word somewhere in your house that some, somehow by osmosis is just going to change your, your life. You could put a Bible verse about patience on your wall and it's not going to, It's not going to change your marriage. What's required is that God's word enters our mind and enters our heart and then is expressed in obedience. And if God's word, if what it says about patience through meditation and through discipleship and through, through obedience turns us into patient men and women, then it will change our life and then it will bring life into areas of our life where we need encouragement, we need light, we need life. Psalm 119 verse 11, it's one of the greatest verses in all of the Bible, says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I don't know about you, but I can't even think of that without saying, thy word I have hid in my heart. That's how I learned it. Thy word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. So the goal is to make sure that God's word isn't just on our walls or on our office coffee cups or on the pages of our Bible but that it gets into our heart and it gets into our lives through obedience. And that happens when we spend time in God's word and with people who are putting God's word into practice and through observation and discipleship, we learn to grow in godliness. And the more God's word works into your life, it will bring light and joy and life. God's word brings life. That's the promise in summary of this Quite long, wonderful psalm. Look at verse 25. I referenced this. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. Verse 37. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Verse 40. Behold, I long for your precepts in your righteousness. Give me life. Verse 50. This is my comfort and my affliction that your promises give me life. Verse 93, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. Verse 107, I am severely afflicted. Give me life according to your word. Psalm 154, plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your word. Look, you see this very clearly in the word. God's word brings life, brings life. Remember at creation, there is nothing, and God creates out of nothing, ex nihilo. He creates, how does he create? By his word. His word brings everything into existence. Paul picks up on this theme in his letter to the church in Corinthians, and he says that in the same way that God brought everything out of nothing by his word, by his word, he brings faith in our hearts where there is no faith. And so God's word brings life. At the point of salvation and for the rest of our life, God's word is life giving. It brings joy and peace and comfort and courage in the midst of life's adversity. God's word will not keep you from hardships, but it will keep you in hardships. It will keep us, our hearts and our minds, and our joy intact. We are hard pressed, but not destroyed. Paul says, how are we not destroyed? Because we cling to God's word. And so when the psalmist says, give me life, give me life, give me life. And all those verses, if you have a different translation, it might say, revive me. I think the NAS says, revive me. And when I first read this psalm and really studied it, that word really captivated me. Revive me. My soul clings to the dust. Revive me. My heart melts away. Revive me. And I don't know what you think of when I say the word revival. Maybe you think of like a, a harvest crusade or or like a big tent kind of thing, like, uh, like Steve Martin in Leap of Faith, which is a movie which you've probably never seen. But maybe you think of an event, something special, something that only happens like like once every century, like the First Great Awakening in the, in the 18th century, or the Second Great Awakening in the 19th century, or the Jesus Movement in the 1970s. But, but what, what revival means here is something that happens on a personal and corporate regular basis every time we go to God's Word. When you commit yourself to learning God's Word, to loving it and obeying it, God will revive you. Isn't that beautiful? God will revive you. And what does that mean? It's like it's like spiritual CPR. You know, CPR, it's, it's not, as far as I understand CPR, not something we do to ourselves. It's something we need an external source of strength, source of life to bring life to us when we don't have life. And the psalmist is saying, when I'm in the dust, when I'm down, when I'm broken, when I'm empty, God, you care about me and you come to me And you revive me and you do it through your word. The book you have in your lap and in like multiple rooms in your home will revive you. That's such a beautiful promise. God, through his word, gives you all the grace you need on every day of your life. God's word brings life. That is the big point of this psalm. So that's the promise. If If we're committed to letting God's word shape us, then God's Spirit will use it to bring us life. So let me make four sort of uh, points about this psalm. And these are in your notes. So if you have the notes through the website, you'll be able to follow along. The first thing I want you to observe are the words for the word. The words for the word. In just those verses that I just read, um, the, the, the psalmist, you'll notice, uses different words for God's word talks about law. He talks about testimonies. He talks about precepts, statutes, commandments, word, judgments, saying, way, promises. And so, and so um, uh, it's been a long time, but, but I remember when I bought my wife's engagement ring, which is now your wedding ring. Uh, two for one, I guess, is what happened there. Um, I remember that, you know, I, I bought like the nicest diamond I could and we went to like, I think, Robin's Brothers and, and bought the rings a long time ago. And, you know, they take the diamond and they kind of turn it like, ooh, isn't this amazing? And you kind of catch his light and they turn it and you're just like, your eyes get big, you know. This is what the psalmist is doing. He's taking God's word and he's sort of turning it and saying, look how great this is. And so all these words kind of have, kind of have different nuances. They kind of, they kind of, shed new light on what God's word is. And we're not going to do like any kind of in-depth word study, but I want you to understand something. The repetition in this passage, in, in this psalm, the repetition of words for the word is there for emphasis. For emphasis. Repetition is a tool for learning. And through repetition, we understand significance and we understand emphasis. And the need that the psalmist wants us to understand is we have a need to emphasize the importance of God's word. We need more of an emphasis on the importance of God's word, not less. There is no church on earth today that needs less of an emphasis on God's word. We need more of an emphasis on God's word. We need more of an emphasis in our lives, in our marriage, in our parenting, just in every aspect of life. And repetition helps us to get emphasis. I don't know about you, but like, When my wife says, hey, could you go to the store, or I'm going to the store, and she'll say, can you get milk and eggs? The first thing I do is I say, text me. That's the first thing I do. And then the second thing I do is I walk out to my car, and I go, milk and eggs, milk and eggs, milk and eggs. Don't forget, milk and eggs, milk and eggs. And then I do forget, but I remember to check my texts, and I somehow miraculously come home with milk and eggs. Okay, so God knows that we have forgetful minds. God knows that we have cold hearts. God knows that we have calloused hearts. We have wounded hearts. God knows that we are are broken. God knows that that we're uh, distracted. And so as you read Psalm 119 and you just read verse after verse, wave after wave of emphasis on God's word with these different words, the emphasis is repetition. The repetition is to remind us we need God's word. But why the acrostic? I mean, why would the psalmist, I mean, this is interesting, but why would the the psalmist structure this psalm, which is an emphasis on the importance of God's word, if we love it and if we obey it, it will bring us life. Why would he structure it as an acrostic? A, B, C, D. It's not the same order as the Hebrew language, but you get what I'm saying. Well, because acrostics are a learning device too, right? Like, I don't know when you learn to pray, but like there's an acrostic for prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, acts. Maybe you've never heard that before and I just gave you a new acrostic for prayer. But, but when I learned to pray, I was taught that, you know, you can think adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And, and when we learn through an acrostic, here's the beautiful thing. Even a child can learn that way. Like even a child can remember through an acrostic something they need not forget. So what's the point? Well, the point is, the point is that God's word is for anyone who will love and obey regardless of age or education or class. If you're here and you have a PhD, you need God's word. If you're here and you dropped out in junior high and never went back to school, you need God's word. Live in a big house, you need God's word. Live in a small efficiency, you need God's word. Drive a new car, you need God's word. Drive an old car, barely starts, you need God's word. Here's the point. All people need God's word. And so God's word is put in a way that we can read it and understand it with emphasis. We need God's word. That's the reason for the words for the word. God's word is for everyone. Listen, you here this morning, you need God's word. Maybe you came here this morning and you're like, something's missing in my life. I don't know what it is. It's God and it's his word and it's his presence and it's his life. It's what you need. It's what you need. Okay, number two. The permanence of God's Word. The permanence of God's Word. We see this in verse 89. Let's look at this together. Psalm 119. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Forever, O Lord, your word is fixed in the heavens. And in Psalm 119, 152, look at verse 152. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. God's word is not going anywhere. People leave. God's word is not going anywhere. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 24, 35. He says, not one jot or tittle will change. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words were never Pass away. You can trust God's word. It's unchanging. It's permanent. It's not corrupted. We have over, we have about six thousand Greek manuscripts dating back to the early second century that we can compare all of these manuscripts with the word you have in your lap right now, and we know that it's uncorrupted. God has preserved it. He's powerful. He can do that. Come on. If there's a God, can He not keep His word? Of course He can. God's word is unchanging, it's trustworthy, it's what was actually written. What you have that says Paul was actually written by Paul. What you have written by Moses was actually written and preserved by Moses. God's word will not pass away. Much as people want it to pass away, much as a lot of people would love for it to pass away, God's word will not pass away. Matter of fact, in the new heaven and the new earth, there will be so many things that pass away. Sorrow will pass away. Suffering will pass away. Sin will pass away. But God's word will never pass away. It is, foreverly, it is forever true and it is totally fulfilled in all that it says. You can trust it. You can trust it. Look at verse 60. Psalm 119, verse 60. I, say, I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. So the psalmist says, listen, I, I, because it is true, I'm going to put myself, I'm going to commit myself to obeying what you have said. It is true, it is fixed, it is settled. And so our love for Jesus, our love and our understanding of the permanence of his word, it's not changing, it's not going anywhere, it's, it's a foundation you can build your life upon. And every letter, every word is the word of God. You know, sometimes we, we try to divide up the Bible and say, well, like the red letters are the words of Jesus. It's all the word of Jesus. It's all God's word. And so you trust it from beginning to end. You need, you need all of it. And so this produces in us an understanding of God's word, produces an affection for God's word. And this is the third point. An understanding of God's word produces an affection for God's word. I mean, You you might wonder, like, should I love the Bible? The answer is yes. Should I love God's word? Absolutely. This is what the psalmist says. Let's not miss this emphasis. Verse 47, I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. If if you're here and you've come to faith in God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit, somebody says, what do you think about the Bible? Do not hesitate to say, I love it. I love God's word. I love it. Psalm 97 says the same thing, that we love God's word. His children love his word. Oh, verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation day and night. Verse 140, your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. Psalm 159, consider how I love your precepts. Verse 163, I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Verse 165, great peace have those who love your law. What do you get if you love God's law, God's word? Great peace, great peace. And so when we lack peace, question, just a question. Do we lack in our love for God's word? Often that is the case. Often it is the case That there is a correlation, a positive correlation between our love for God's word and the peace we experience. And and similarly, a negative correlation where there is a lack. Love. And what about delight? The psalmist delights in God's word. Verse 14, in the way of your testimonies, I delight. Verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. Verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. Verse 35, point, lead me in the path of righteousness for I delight in it. Verse 70, their heart is feeling like fat, but I delight in your law. And so the psalmist loves God's word. He delights in God's word. There's not just like a, a recognition that it is God's word. It's not just like an intellectual assent. It is like a heartfelt love and joy in God's word. And Jesus sort of picks up on this. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It is not possible to love God and not love his word. That is a myth that we need to dispel. This psalm dispels that myth. You can't love God and not love his word. You can't love God and not love his people. You can't love God and not love his promises. Look, you know this. If you love God, you'll love his word. Caring about someone means caring about what they have to say. Right? I mean, this makes sense. I mean, it would be a strange relationship where you claim to care about somebody, but just didn't care to hear them speak. I really like you, but could you just be quiet? I don't really want to hear anything you have to say. I'm no relationship expert, but I don't think that's healthy. That sounds wrong to me. If you ignored someone when they talked, I don't think you could say, I really value you. And they go, hey, it's something I need to say. And you go, yeah, hold that thought and you walk away. Have you ever been at like lunch with somebody and you're talking and they're just like kind of on their phone and you're going, I don't think you like, you know, I don't think you're into this conversation. I don't think you value this friendship. Why? Because you're not here. You're not paying attention to me. Right? Right? So if you're here and you're young and you're single and you're in a relationship and you're like, I really like this person. I just wish they would be quiet and not talk. I don't think that's going to last. I don't think that's going to last. And if God is supposed to be the person we care about the most, the person we love the most, the person who loves us perfectly and is himself perfect, then doesn't it make perfect sense that his word would have a priority in our life, something we love, something we delight in? I mean, if you love someone, you can't wait to get a word from that person, a text from that person, a call from that person, a letter from that person. You you sort of really, in love, hang on the words of someone. That's an idea we can all grasp. It's all his word. It's all profitable. The psalmist loves God's word, his commands. Every part of God's word, he loves. 1 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture, every verse, every book, it's all scripture. Jesus says in Matthew 7.17 that, um, th- that, uh, that, that every jot and every tittle, which the jot is like a, the smallest little letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and the tittle is just a little marking. Jesus says those little markings will not pass away. And so one of the ways we love God's word and we value God's word is by not minimizing any part of God's word. Beware, beware of anyone, any preacher, any author, any teacher, any Christian who minimizes any part of God's word. We need to understand God's word in its context we need to understand how it points us to Christ. Not all scripture applies to our life in the same way. Given proper hermeneutics and all of that, even so, we should endeavor to love all of God's word. Let me challenge you. What part of God's word do you not value? What book do you not value? What book, when you're doing the read through the Bible plan, are you like, oh no, this book. Look, one of the ways you love God's word is to, is to grow in your understanding and appreciation for parts of Scripture that you tend to avoid. The problem is not with that part of Scripture. The problem is with us. And so endeavor to understand God's Word more. How do you do that? I mean, read good books about books of the Bible. Listen to good sermon on books of the Bible. Maybe even buy a commentary on a book of the Bible. Read a good study Bible, like the ESV study Bible. Read the notes. And what you'll find is that the parts of Scripture you avoided are so deep and beautiful and applicable that you're the one who's been missing out. If you love God, you love, you delight in his word. What parts of his word? All of his word. It's all red. It's all his word. All right, number four. Why do we love God's word? Maybe you're here this morning and you go, you know what? I get it. It's God's word. It's unchanging. It's a diamond. It's, I, I get it. But, but why should I love God's word? Well, there's a lot of reasons you should love God's word. It's God's word. And if you love God, you love his word. But but another reason you love God's word is because of the impact it has in your life. This is the fourth point. The impact of God's word. Notice again what it says in verse 25. It revives us. Verse 105, it guides us. Verse 76, it comforts us. Verse 169, it gives us understanding. Verse 170, it it delivers us. Look at 176, the very last verse. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. God's word is the way back when you've gone astray. Let me say that again. God's word is the way back when you've gone astray. Look, if you're here this morning and you've gone astray, you go, I don't even know how to get back. Yes, you do. Follow the crumb trail. Follow the word. The word will lead you back. God is not hiding from you. He's, he's near. He's, he's, he's able to be found if you'll just go to his word. The word is the way back. It keeps us from lies. Verse 29, it expands our horizons. Look at verse, um, look at verse 45 with me. Verse 45, the psalmist says, "And I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts." This doesn't mean God's going to make you rich. Uh, it, it means that God's going to expand your horizons. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to understand the beauty of the world. The, the world will make more sense to you if you will understand and meditate on God's word. Verse 127, one of the impacts of the word is that the word enables us to love what God loves. Verse 127 and verse 53, to hate what I hate. To hate what God's hate. To hate evil and to hate sin and to hate injustice and to hate wickedness. And that's part of it. Part of reading the Bible, the psalmist says in verse 53, hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. So when you grow in your knowledge and your love of God's word and you're meditating on it and it's bringing life to your life, one of the things is you're going to love what God's word and you're going to be troubled, you're going to be bothered, you're going to be you're going to have a righteous anger about things that are wicked in the world. Hot indignation. So we can say this. God's word will make a tremendous impact, a positive impact, a life-giving impact on those who love it and seek to obey it as an expression of their faith. Now, let me give you a word of caution. This does not happen all at once. Don't go home and be like, I'm going I'm I'm to I'm eat lunch and I'm going to read the Bible and my life's going to change like that. That's not what happens, right? This takes time. It takes patience. It takes meditation, which meditation in the Bible just means getting something in your head and just thinking about it over and over. I worked at a mall one winter during the Christmas season, and I would drive home every day just in my brain. I could not get those songs, you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, all those Christmas songs out of my head. It was like involuntary meditation. But this is voluntary meditation. Where you read God's word and you just think about it. It doesn't happen at once, but it will happen. It requires wisdom, but it will bring life. It will bring impact. It will bring real positive change. God's word brings life, it brings eternal life, it brings meaning, it reveals purpose. It brings purpose. Look with me, real quickly, at verse 25 again. We're closing, this is in closing. Verse 25, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. I've, I've said that, my soul clings to the dust. Maybe you're here this morning and you're clinging to the dust. Your soul's in the dust. That is a picture of humility, of brokenness, of despair, of despondency in the dust. Your soul, soul. Now look at verse 32, the very last verse of that same verse. Dalit stanza, verse 32. See it? I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. I will run. How do the psalmists go in eight short verses from their soul being in the dust to running? How do you go from being in the dust to running? Don't we all want to be running? Maybe not literally, metaphorically, spiritually running. How do you go from being in the dust to running? God's word. God's word. You neglect God's word, you're going to be in the dust. You're in the dust, go to God's word. You're going to be running. You might still be poor, but you'll be running. You might still be discouraged, but you'll be running. This doesn't mean life circumstances change, but your perspective on life circumstances totally change. This is my desire that we would be a congregation running in God's word. Our souls alive and free and moving and running. Why? Because God has enlarged our heart. He's given us a heart for his word. He's given us a heart for the world, for the lost. How does that happen? Verse 18, the psalmist says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your word. This is what is needed. If you're here this morning and you just you just go, I'm hearing but I don't get it. I listen but it doesn't matter. What do I, what do, I do? Well pray that prayer would you? Pray that prayer. Let me challenge you to pray that prayer. Open, open my eyes. Remember Jesus says, he who has eyes to hear, ears to hear. Open my eyes, open my ears, open my heart, that I may behold wondrous things from your word, that I may love your word, that my soul would go from the dust to running in obedience and joy and faith. If you want life, then go to God's word. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would open our eyes. I pray that for every person here. Open our eyes to behold wondrous things of your word. And the most wonderful thing about your word, the pinnacle of all pinnacles is the person and work of Jesus Christ. He loved your law. He loved your word. He kept it. He kept it when we couldn't. But if we love him, we want to follow him, Father. We want to follow in the way of our Savior, our big brother, Jesus Christ. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that we would love your word. I pray that every man and woman, every child, from young to old, every one of us would love your word, obey your word, and for as long as we live, run freely, because your commands have given us life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Thanks, Adam. We're going to take some time to reflect on the sermon, Um, anything to meditate on some of the words that have been said today, some of the things that have been shared, Um, and I would encourage you guys to go ahead and do that.
0: you're in this place please let me stay and rest in your own. Magnify in me. Oh, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life. Christ be magnified.
1: This worship song,
0: a creation suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues lift one. I'm um. Strong And worship you If it puts me in the fire I'll rejoice cause you're there too And I won't be formed by feelings I'll hold fast to what is true And if the cross brings transformation and I'll be crucified with you Cause death is just the doorway Into resurrection life I join you in your sufferings, then I'll join you when you rise, and when you return in glory with all the angels and the saints, my heart will still be singing, and my song will be, I won't bow, I won't bow to idols, I'll stand strong and worship you, and if it puts I won't be formed by feelings i hold fast to what is true And if the cross brings transformation Then I'll be crucified with you Cause death is just the doorway Into resurrection alive. And if I join you in your suffering Then I'll join you
1: our prayer, that as we seek some love and to understand and to cherish your word, that it would change us from the inside to the outside, that people would see and that we would see this change, and that our lives would magnify your name and your greatness. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you all for joining us this morning. We'll see you guys next week.